0: Have you ever listened in on a conversation that you weren't supposed to hear? This is one of my pet peeves at my house, okay? Sarah and I will be downstairs talking about something, and all of a sudden, one of the children, and particularly one of the children, will call down from upstairs, what did you say? And I'm like, seriously? If you're downstairs on your phone, I can talk to you and you have no idea that I'm saying anything. But upstairs with his headphones on, talking to his cousins, playing video games, all of a sudden he hears everything in the house. When you overhear somebody talking, sometimes you hear something good. Uh, You hear about a vacation plan. You can hear about a surprise Christmas gift. Maybe you hear a compliment More often than not, when you overhear another conversation, you generally hear things you're not supposed to hear, things you don't really want to know. The book of Ecclesiastes even has a phrase in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 that says, be careful of overhearing your servant, because you might hear something that you don't really want to hear. Well, in this text, this morning, we are invited to overhear. We're invited to listen in on someone else's prayer, particularly Jesus' prayer, one of his final prayers. Again, we are picking up the story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. This is about our fourth time uh, picking up John. Every spring, we spend a little bit of time in the Gospel of John. And now, this morning, we are picking up the story of Jesus as it nears its apex, Jesus' arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. John chapter 17, if you want to think about it in real time, we're just a few minutes before Judas betrays Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room where they have held the final dinner together, what we call the Last Supper. They're now descending out of the city of Jerusalem. They're going to cross what's called the Brook of Kidron, and they're going to start climbing their way up into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they leave the city, Jesus prays. Now real quick, I want to stop right here and say that this is a great lesson for you and I. Jesus prays on the go. Because prayer is a normal part of Jesus' life. It's central to His communion with His Father. And one of the things that I want you to grab just real quickly from this text is that prayer is not about the right time or the right place or the right heart attitude. Too many of us, we veer away from prayer because it's just not the right time or my mind's not in the right place. That would have been totally foreign to Jesus, because prayer was central to his relationship with his Father. So for you and I, one lesson that I think we need to take away from this almost immediately is never put down the inclination to pray. If you have an inclination to pray, or if you even just have a sense that you need to pray, pray on the go. Doesn't matter where you're going or what kind of situation you find yourself in, pray on the go. Now, at Gethsemane in the garden, Jesus is going to ask Peter and James and John to pray with him. But here, on the way to the garden, he deliberately prays so that his disciples will overhear him. His disciples aren't secretly overhearing him like we sometimes overhear a conversation. No, Jesus is doing this intentionally. He wants his disciples to see through his prayer. He's giving them a prayer with a view. And so two questions this morning as we make our way through this text. What do they see? And by what do we see, right? But also secondly, why does Jesus want them to see it? What do they see, and why does Jesus want them to see it? And those are questions that are applicable to us as well. So first, what do they see in this prayer? There's three things that they see in this prayer. The most amazing thing that they see in this prayer is a glimpse of Jesus as he existed in eternity past. Look at verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, most of us, I think, have a hard enough time getting our arms around this world, understanding what God is doing right now, much less what happened before the creation of the world. The Bible gives us very few hints of what existence was like before the creation. We can't speak of time because there was no time. We can't speak of a where or a what because there was nothing. Only God existed, eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so right away we are introduced to something mysterious, something foreign, something that is beyond our comprehension. The disciples often heard Jesus refer to God as His Father. They heard about Him wanting to do or needing to do the work that His Father called Him to do. They even heard others recognize that Jesus came from God. But if you're a parent, maybe you understand this, our kids sometimes don't have a conception of who we were as kids, right? They look at pictures of us and they think, wow, that's really strange. Their conception of us is who we are right now to them. That's almost as far as they can think. Well, in the same way, the disciples probably never could quite comprehend who Jesus was before he walked and he talked with them. But this prayer allows us to see, at least in shadows, Jesus' existence before the Incarnation before He was born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary. The disciples have seen Jesus up close and personal for three years, walking and teaching, eating and sleeping. But now, in that very phrase, Jesus is, in a sense, reintroduced to His disciples as someone who is absolutely independent of them and of the rest of the world. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth. He is the eternal Son of God who has always existed. As Jesus prays, the second thing that we see is this fellowship that he has with his Father. The fellowship between the Father and the Son. In verse 1, he begins his prayer by calling God his Father. Now, Jesus taught his disciples to call God their father, but what's on display here is an an intimacy that is different than the relationship that you and I have with God because of his adopting love. We read in verse 5 that he had a relationship with God See what he says in verse 5. Glorify me in your own presence. That phrase there, in your own presence. It's probably translated better face to face. So rather than thinking of a servant who is in the presence of a king, yet is far distant, observing, waiting for a signal from the king. Instead, it's almost of a husband and a wife or a family member who lives face to face with one another absolutely engaged with one another. Jesus has confidence that his prayer will be answered. Not because his petition is correctly formed. Not because he has the right heart as he goes to God in prayer. He has confidence that his prayer will be answered because of his previous experience With the Father to whom he prays. Well friends, this is not a passage that we necessarily turn to to try to understand the mechanics of the Trinity. To try to understand how God can be both three and one. How the Father and the Son can share the same essence. But here in this prayer, we actually have a sort of kind of rubber meets the road of what John tells us in his prologue in John chapter 1. When he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that's what's on display in this prayer. The third thing that we see in this prayer is Jesus's supreme confidence, despite the circumstances that he is about to go into, it is Jesus's supreme confidence in the Father's control, in the Father's power, and in the Father's love. He says, Father, the hour has come. What hour is that? What's well, the hour that his entire life has pointed toward. An hour that he has sometimes told other people has not yet come. Remember what he told his mother Mary in John chapter 2. My hour has not yet come. Well, now the hour has come. That moment that was ordained by God to secure our salvation by the sacrifice of the Son. And as Jesus faces that hour, He turns to His Father with expectation. Glorify your Son, He prays, so that the Son may glorify you. Here's what I want you to see from this. Jesus knows that the Father is not surprised by the deception and betrayal of of Judas Iscariot. Jesus knows that the Father is not rendered powerless, powerless by the political might of Pilate or the cunning and the deceit of the religious leaders. Instead, He asks the Father to do what has always been the plan, what has always been the purpose. From eternity past, it's now being put into effect. The hour has come. It's time to pull the lever. It's time to punch the button. Now is the time to give eternal life to all those He has given to the Son. How? How? Is God going to answer this prayer? How is He going to glorify the Son? Well, with Jesus, we have to look forward. We have to look down into the future. We have to look past the final brutal savagery of His death on the cross. And we have to focus our eyes on His ascension, on His exaltation Into heaven. You see, even though Jesus was King of Kings and Lord of Lords at the carpenter bench as he grew up, even though he held together the universe on the dusty roads of Galilee, even though he had command of all of heaven's angels as he stood before Pilate, his glory will not be seen until His resurrection, until His ascension, until His exaltation. Jesus is facing His death. But He is putting His future into the Father's hands. Because He knows that the Father will raise Him up. He knows that having accomplished what He was sent to do, Now the Father will accomplish what He has agreed to do from eternity past. To raise Him up. To seat Him at the Father's right hand. Where He will reign in glory and power until He comes again. Now why does Jesus want His disciples and you and me to see those three things? I think there are three reasons why. The first is that his disciples, and you and I, we need to be constantly reminded that this is who Jesus is. We need to be constantly confronted with this Jesus. Do you remember how shocked the disciples were when they witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus? When they saw This Jesus being glorified. And they're like, whoa, this is not the guy that we expected. Well, Friends, in the same way, we need to have our own comfortable ideas about Jesus shaken up. What Jesus is showing his disciples and what he is showing you and me is that he is God. No matter what our culture thinks about Jesus... No matter what popular opinion is about Jesus, and we've just come through a season where lots of people are talking about how nice Jesus is and how good it is to have some sort of nodding acceptance of Jesus as a sort of moral guide and chief philosopher and an example for us to follow. But, friends, our own ideas about Jesus. Pale in comparison to what He is revealing to His disciples and to you and me. Jesus is God. That's the first thing that He wants His disciples to see. The second thing is this. Or the first reason why He's showing His disciples this. The second reason that He's inviting them to see Him in this way is because the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his Father is the model for our own relationship with God. Look again at verse 3. You have given him authority over all flesh to get... I'm sorry, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If we were to talk before you read this passage this morning and I was to ask you, what is eternal life? How would you answer that question? Would you have answered that question the way that Jesus defines it here? Eternal life is to know God. Being a Christian, friends, is not simply a matter of making sure your doctrine is right. That's important, but that's not what makes you a Christian. It's not a matter of correctly interpreting the biblical teaching about who God is. It's not knowing certain facts about God. What happens when we become Christians? Jesus brings us into fellowship with God. Personally, vitally, directly, really, with the living God Himself. We come to know Him. That's what eternal life is. And so when Jesus invites his disciples to hear this prayer, he's giving them a sense of what it means to be in fellowship with God. The third reason that Jesus prays this way in front of his disciples is so that they can be strengthened for the trials that are about to hit them. The disciples, I don't think it's too much to say this, I'm not being crass. The disciples are about to go through hell. The hour that has now come, what it's Jesus's hour, well, in Luke chapter 23, it's called the hour of the power of darkness. And for three days, The disciples are going to be overwhelmed by the chaos and the confusion of Jesus' horrific death. They will feel untethered from the reality that they had known. Their hopes and dreams are going to be shattered. But by allowing them to listen in on this prayer, Jesus is strengthening them. He is comforting them for the dark days that are yet ahead. He wants them to know that this is an hour that He expected. This is an hour that He controls. The Father loves Him. And the Father loves them too. They are not cast off. They are not forgotten. They are firmly within God's grasp. And the future glory of Jesus will also be their glory too. Friends, this is something that I think Jesus wants us to see in this prayer. We all need to know that no matter what lies ahead, we belong to God. That we are firmly in His grasp. That we are not cast off and forgotten. That we are loved and that the glory of Christ will be our glory too. Don't we need to know that today? As Brett prayed, we've now gone through nearly two years of pandemic uncertainty, the back and the forth, the the chaos that that has created. There's family dysfunction. Some of that was on display probably in your own homes over the last couple of weeks. Many of us are facing economic uncertainty and insecurity. All of us struggle with sin. Many of us are kept awake at night because of the fear of what's to come. Like the disciples, how many of our own hopes and dreams seem shattered and irreplaceable? Through this prayer, we are given a view, we are given a vista, we are brought to a point where we can see the future. And friends, the future is the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And that means that no matter what this year brings, no matter what unknowns are yet ahead of us, our best days are still to come. The Apostle Peter, who heard this prayer, who saw Jesus suffer who went on to testify of his glorious resurrection and ascension in his first epistle he describes himself and he describes all of us as partakers of the glory that is yet to be revealed the apostle paul does the same thing in 1st thessalonians he says that all of us are called through the gospel So that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not our glory. It's His glory. And we are invited to walk in it. With the promise that we will be transformed by it. And that's what Jesus wants His disciples to see. And friends, that's what He wants you and I to see. And what a glorious thing to see so early in this new year. Let's pray. Father, it feels, foolishly, we acknowledge, it feels like every new year should bring with it a new expectation of things to come of opportunities and experiences that will be better than the year before. And yet, Father, we are surprised again and again and again by the challenges of life, by the heartaches and the heartbreaks, by the frustrations of sin, both our own and that which is committed against us. Father, the disciples didn't quite know what they were heading into that night. We don't know where our own lives will take us. But I pray that you would give us this vision of Jesus. Crucified for our sins, but now risen victorious, ruling and reigning at your right hand. And Father, no matter what hits us or comes across our lives, fix our eyes on this one who is coming again in glory. Father, may we be confident and assured, both in times of struggle and in times of ease in the coming days and weeks and months, because we belong to him, because we know you because we have been given the gift of eternal life. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.